Hello and welcome back to part two of the Bill podcast interview with the mighty Eric Richard as he shares more memories of playing Sergeant Bob Cryer. This time we kick off with more details of Eric's working relationship with the legendary John Salthouse. Obviously we'd worked together on uh, Red Saturday and we knew of each other without knowing each other and we got on famously and when you're on the road with a small scale company you need to get on otherwise it can be bloody uh, and it wasn't, we got on famously, it was a lovely group of actors but he and I got on particularly well so when the job came up it was almost made in heaven, I mean we were, we were ideal partners to work together. And I have nothing, nothing but good memories of working with him. What you see on the screen is what was going on. And that's to do with trust and recognition. A recognition of what the... Again, because he's a great football fan, you know he was a footballer before he became an actor. And I know he'd appreciate the analogy. It's, it is like being Dennis Bergkamp passing a ball to Thierry Henry. I'm going to put us two way up there like that. Way beyond our ability, but I'm going to put us up there. And because I know, Dennis would know that if he releases that ball, Thierry will take it. In the same way, if I release something to John, he will take it. And John, the same. If he releases something to Eric, Eric will take it. It won't have to be discussed. It will just happen. Whether it's a look, whether it's a glance, whether it's a word, whether it's a reaction... It would always be right, and it isn't always like that, even with when you're working with people that you admire and, and think are good actors. It isn't always as easy as it was between John and I. And you both made different decisions yeah. uh, when the bill changed to a, a twice-weekly series. John made his decision for his reasons. Was mm. it a very straightforward decision, or were, was there ever that moment where you thought, well, this is a much longer commitment, mm. do I... Mm. Do you do what John did and go on to other things, or you obviously stuck with him? What was your thought process at that opportunity? At that, at that opportunity, it was simple. I loved playing the part, I loved the process, I loved the way we were working, and there was absolutely no reason not to do it. It has to be significant, although I didn't consider it at the time, is that when the change was made, I would have been 47. I'd been in the business now for getting on 20 years. As we've said in this conversation, I'd established who I was, and I knew who I was, and I knew what I was capable of. So I, in that sense, had nothing to prove. At the same time, I'd separated from my first wife, and I was now in a new relationship which was going to be a long-term, and is a still, we are still together, so it clearly is a long-term, and we have two adult offspring, so clearly it was something that was going to go forward. So it, I think maybe instinctively there was also a sense of security, mm-hmm. although, again, our contracts only ever said six months. We were never contracted for more than six months, so it wasn't that I knew I was going to be there for another ten years. But all those ingredients would have made it right for me to be where I was. 
I can't make a judgment or wouldn't even begin to try and make a judgment on, on how John came to his decisions or any other actor. Mm. You talked about Ralph Brown earlier. You know, Ralph is a fabulous actor and was fabulous in that part, yeah. absolutely fabulous. And we missed him when he went. He, that was a great loss, I thought. But again, he had things that he needed to do with his life. I clearly didn't feel I needed to do those things and what I was doing was what I needed to do. Yeah. And... What was that change like? I mean, by now you're in Barbie Road and you've got a much larger cast as well. But you've also got, for me, I said this to Larry, it's the holy trinity of you. Larry's now a, a full-time regular. He mm-hmm. his part of Grown and Roger Leach. Mm-hmm. And the three of you, those late 80s episodes are still so special. Yeah. What was it like working with those two? Well, that, and that runs parallel to John. John and I, Roger and Larry and I, in a very different way because there was no animosity there, whereas the two characters that John and I had, there had to be animosity as well as respect, but we didn't have that. It was wonderful, and, and through that, we be, all three of us became very, very close personally, so that was, that was a, a fabulous time. And it was also, I said much earlier, that I do think of myself as a team player. I enjoyed the expansion of the team. I enjoyed new people coming in, and because of who Sergeant Cryer, Eric Richard, was at that time, the younger actors were coming towards me, not as a guru or to be taught, but just, uh, I I always felt as a sense of surety Mm. that they they knew if they worked with this bloke, and I'm sure it would be true they would say the same thing probably about Trudy, you know, if I work with Trudy I, I'm going to be safe, I'm going to be in a good place yeah. so that's, you know, that's heartening that's, you know, very much what you want to do When I um, talk to my wife she uh, has watched many, many an episode of The Bill we all have our favourite moments of our favourite characters for her at the moment it's when you get told your son has been the driver of a car mm. that has killed someone well it's a a two-sided scene because Tony Scanlon is sublime in having to tell Bob Cryer mm. that this has mm. happened but your disbelief mm. Patrick mm. not Patrick no, no. Mm. and then Bob really struggling to come to terms of it he doesn't even want to be in the station when he's processed you know mm. That, mm. that's a gift isn't it oh of course to get of course story and, and again as a general answer when I'm over the years and why did you stay so long I look at it like this no matter what heights I'd reached and where I was in the profession I'm still a jobbing actor I'm not Ian McKellen I've not had a knighthood I'm not likely to get a knighthood and I'm not complaining I mean that you, we all know where we are and what our strengths are so someone comes to me and says we'd like you to play this character his name's Sergeant Cryer here's the script and you look at it and think wow I'd do that that's a good part. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to ask you to do that part, and you're going to have scripts of that calibre, and you're going to get 12 or 15 of those a year, and you're going to have all these other little bits that you can do in between, and we're going to pay you a reasonable sum of money. I'm a professional. What's not to like about any of that? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's not saying, oh, well, I'll tell you what, is a lovely script. You can be the understudy and you can sit in your dressing room every night for a year and you will pay you quite well. Well, I mean, there's, there's no difficulty, is there, really? No, no. And then, you know, you've made, you know, you've made reference to a couple of the episodes. 
just just that one or that little sequence of episodes about Patrick and, and all that was going on in the family. I mean, what a gift. Or, you know, the hostage situation. Yeah. What yeah. a gift, you know. I suppose the stunts started to get more exciting as well. There's um, an incendiary device that goes off in front, mm. in front of you and Ben Roberts and there's a stunt man mm. on fire. That is, mm-hmm. and, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's my second of your outstanding <laughs> moments. Uh, it's in uh, dear Mark Cowley's final moment yeah. Trojan Horse a very famous episode mm. obviously to mask the fact that it's going to be the move to Merton and the stage is going to look a bit different mm. uh, fantastic stunt scene you've got Jeff Stewart covering blood on top of you and people mm. running to help but again that moment where you find out that SO13 have monitored the car and this could have all been prevented mm. and let it out mm. you know mm. well, where does this leave us mm. you know what mm. of my lessons Killed, mm. you know, mm. such, a, such a fantastic Thank moment. You. Thank Do you, you ever watch yourself back I and mean, we'll repeat something? No, that. I don't know. I ought to, really. In the light of this conversation, I, I know I will do it now. When I was doing the job, I watched every performance that yeah. I was in. Didn't watch every episode, but everything I did, because I always thought it would be like being a tennis player. I would always watch my game because I'd want to improve it. And there would, even toward the end, there would still be things, hmm, I might have done that a bit differently. Mm. I might have just put a bit more emphasis there. Not critically, but just thinking, yeah, because I want to be on my game all the time. I want to be on my game. And if you want to be on your game, then you get Dunkirk. And you get a moment like Dunkirk, not because you just get offered the job, but when that moment comes, you do it. Mm. And again, I don't say that with arrogance, but you just do it, because that's what you do because you do all your work and that's how you do it. And like a tennis player, ball comes at it from nowhere, but instinctively puts the right amount of topspin on it. Yeah. And so Eric Richard puts the right amount of topspin on the shot that's needed at that moment. And I mean, you're on the front, we've got a book in front of us mm. here at Berlin. Mm. This is a very famous storyline for you. Blue Murder was in the episode. Yes. You know. yes. Bob, for all the right reasons in that situation, you know, shoot someone who, as far as he's concerned, is a loaded weapon and he's mm-hmm. going to kill mm-hmm. someone. And mm-hmm. it turns out that the weapon was unloaded, he didn't know that, and it's all clear. But, what uh, again, another moment, but, I mean, I can't even imagine what it's like to actually fire a revolver. I don't even mm-hmm. know, I don't know if no. I want to know what it's like to fire no. a revolver. Does that give you a different appreciation, again, of the real men who do this work, and that they have to make these split-second decisions mm-hmm. with... Course. with Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Oh no, uh, you sound as if you're like me. I have no place in my life for guns uh, at all. Uh, Despite being quite interested in things mechanical, I understand why people are fascinated by the engineering of a gun. But in terms of using it, I've got no interest at all. Quite the opposite, in fact. So when I this episode came, and also remembering this was in a different time. I mean, now we're used to police officers being armed. In those days, they had the pink slip. They used to, you know, if you he was a pink slip man, he had to take his pink slip, allocated the gun, allocated the rounds of ammunition, all of that stuff. So you had to get your head into that. The, the man had to get his head, well, the actor had to get his head inside of what would that be like. And that, uh, yeah, it took some doing. Mm. But in, again, that's what I do for a living, and that's why, the, my, you know, look at the... The different things you've talked about, about Sergeant Cryer, yeah. if any one of those was the part, you'd think, oh, yeah, I'll do that. 
Yeah. But they're coming at you all the time. Absolutely. From all different kinds of ways. Yeah. It's a lovely side story to that. Oh, yeah. Oh. It's slightly graphic, so I don't know how you're going to interpret this. But anyway, we had a lovely resident cameraman, stillsman, Stan, who worked, this is in a different era, worked for Thames Television, been there, I assume, all his life. And he would come around, and if we were doing something special like this, he'd come around and take the pictures. So he'd come over to me and he said, Eric, I'm gonna get, I want to get a really nice shot of you in action. Like, actually, when we do the take, I want to get a shot of you. So, so I'm going to be over there on a the long lens. I said, yeah, fine. He, so he said, what happens? I said, well, I'm crouched down behind the car with the gun pointed, and I'm using my hand as I am now, not got the gun in my hand. I said, I've got the gun pointed, and then I come up and I put the gun, as you see, on top of the car, and I say, drop the gun, drop the gun, and then I go bang, bang, and I shoot it. Right, terrific. So off he goes, we do a few rehearsals. Okay, it's a take. So I get the gun in my hand, take the gun out of my hand, action, up onto the bonnet, drop the gun, drop the gun, bang, bang, cut. That's great. We're going to have to go again, but that's great. Look at Stan. He came over after I said, what happened? He said, well, when you, went, when you pulled the trigger and the thing went bang, bang, it's so frightened that me might... Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I shot a picture of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Stan. Poor old Stan. It must be quite... It's actually, you know... Be firing at yourself and keeping it still. Oh, yes, you know, that's, yeah. That's well, I had to be shown how to do it, you know, the, uh, the arms man uh, showed me how to do it and how you hold it, hence putting it on there and all of that. Yeah, it seems a lifetime ago. How, how often in advance, so like a, a little bit after this, you become duty sergeant, you're in mm. a suit, you're mm-hmm. out in the uniform for a bit. How often, I mean, you've got your six month contract. When would they tell you, well, we're going to do this with Bob, we're going to take him out of uniform? How, how often were you consulted? Well, consult's not quite the right word. I mean, they came to me and said, listen, we, we want to see if we can explore something different with Cryer, so we're going to do this. And obviously they were open to my observations, but they weren't saying, would you like to do it? I mean, that's, you know, you're employed to do the job. <laughs> I said, well, yeah, I'll give it a go. But I, I had to say I couldn't see where it was going to go yeah. because the power of cryo we've been discussing now for a little while is that strength and is that man management. And sitting in behind the desk isn't going to show that to its best. No. And therefore, it never really flew that idea. No. And then they're going back on his feet again. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm beat one of my favourites with you... Uh, you and Nula share an episode. It's called Addresses, and it's all set at night. Mm. And the episode starts off, it's all about sure we're going to have a nice cup of coffee. And then you say, stop the car. And you see some rubbish bags. Something's not right there. You have an initial look, and then something on the radio comes in, and, and you go. And you say to Nula, I, I knew this was going to be an interesting night. Don't you know that? Don't you get that instinct? Mm. And it turns out at the end that they find a baby in that. Oh, that's bags. right. Yes, yeah. yes. And um, you're then called to help Graham Cole and Andrew Paul. There's a chap on the roof throwing f- uh, like fridge freezers down, all sorts, off of a, off a flat roof. And so, what are we, have we tried talking him down? What are we going to do? And Graham Cole says, "Well, I could kick the door down." And you said, "Whatever happened to tact and diplomacy, Anthony? You know, yeah, patience yeah. is a virtue." 
And then Andrew Paul said, look outside, and the TV comes crashing down, and he said, oh, I'll go kick the door. <laughs> <laughs> this lovely bit of just comedy yes. business. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, well, that's what was missing when they put him in the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah getting out in the action. Yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying these, these names for you, because, I mean, you know, I suppose it was always a sea change, you know, in the, in the mid-90s, Chris Ellison left, Tony Scannell left, Nula left, mm-hmm. John Isles, mm-hmm. but then you've got Tony O'Callaghan, Lisa Gagan, mm-hmm. Andrew mm-hmm. Paul, you know, mm-hmm. there's always all, all, all people who themselves would stay for, for 10 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. What are your memories of those people as, as colleagues, with presumably friendships as well, and a social side of, of the job? What do you think back to those, those 90s days? I think they run parallel but different to the previous. Mm. I mean, it, it, again, we seemed in the main to attract really good people, and the people who didn't get it tended not to last very long. Mm. And that's not because they couldn't do it, but I don't think they quite got it, got the, the energy of the show. Mm. And you can't see it coming when you go into a long series, because unless you've already done it before, you know, if you're one of these actors that goes from one series to another, then that's different, you know how it works. But you can't be prepared for ten years of recreating the same person without it becoming flabby. And you can only do that by working at it. And some actors don't find that easy to do. Mm. So if you're saying Sierra Oscar to base uh, over and out for the 923rd time, you've still got to make it sound as if he's never said it before. Yeah. And you have to think like that. You, have, you really have to be on it. And most of the actors, vast majority of them, got it, got that energy but some of them didn't. And the ones that did, without exception, we never... I don't have any memories of being unhappy in any sense at all. I never, ever, ever got up in the morning thinking, I'm not working with him, am I? Or not her again. Never felt like that once. And I suppose it was such a staple and an important staple for the industry... Seen an interview, you've probably worked with 5,000 actors. <laughs> well, it, yes. Well, it, do the numbers. I did 1,200 episodes. Yeah. There's, there's the likely to be at least five guests. So the likelihood is that I could have worked with 5,000 different actors on that show. It's not difficult to do the numbers, is no. it? It just sounds extraordinary when you say that. Yeah. yeah. Towards the end of the 90s, they, they did make a scene change in having not guest stars, but star guests. And, yes. and, and Rick Mayer was the first, yes. really. And you yeah. have a fantastic, the Humpty Dumpty trilogy. Yeah. A lovely, lovely episode, yeah. yeah. Mm. And you have some marvellous scenes of him. Mm. He's, yeah. Yeah. You know, he's just being what Rick Mayer did so, so, so well. Mm. And also showing that these comedy actors can also turn their hand to drama. Well, it's, yes. it, it clues him in the name of their actors. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, it is absolutely the difference between being a comic and being a a comedic actor mm. yeah, is vast and that's why you do get some fabulous performances from people who are supposed merely to be funny men mm. or funny women but no, if you, Victoria Wood would be the example, you know, I mean yeah. being on stage with Victoria at the beginning of her career and watch her acting we know all about the other stuff don't we, yeah. was no surprise when we came toward the end of her career the thing about the lady in the Second World War. Oh, yes. For me, and anyone who knew Victoria, there was no surprise at seeing that coming. Yeah. The fact that she was a genius at everything else, it was hardly a surprise that she could act as well. Yeah, yeah. And by this point, 
I mean, it's fair to say there's, there's a celebrity side as well, isn't there, mm-hmm. where you start doing ready, steady cook appearances mm-hmm. or... Uh, mm-hmm. Did you do some presenting for Top Gear, am I right? Though? I did a one-off for Top Gear in its original form. Right. Which I was very pleased to do because a, a, a piece of social engineering history, Triumph Motorcycles were the last name in British motorcycling when we had led the world for years and then they died. And a man called Eric Bloor bought the product and decided he was going to relaunch it and now Triumph for who they are. <clears throat> well, in 1990, they launched their first bike, and Top Gear asked me to road test it for them. Oh. It was wow. Yeah, yeah, I really loved that. And, and in the world of motorcycling, again, I've explained how important it is to me. I worked for Ulster Television covering motorcycle racing over there, the Isle of Man. Did a couple of episodes of Wish You Were Here. Oh, one right. in Scotland, one in uh, Los Angeles. Not Los Angeles, in um, California and Arizona. So, yeah, there was a lot of other things. What I was never up for was loosely reality television. It's not, you know, the idea of going into a a mountain and eating bugs or sleeping in a room with people shouting and swearing at you. (laughs) There's not not enough money, really. (laughs) (laughs) I always say those kind of things, and and there's no disrespect to those people that choose to do it, is you'd have to pay me life-changing money. <laughs> it would, you know, I do mean yeah. life-changing. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not because I'm wealthy, just you'd no. have to change my life to make you do any of those yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. We're reaching a point now since the, the late 90s, the early noughties. Did you see the change in the tone of the show? Could you feel it, perhaps stepping away from Jeff McQueen's original mm. intention? We haven't spoken about Jeff McQueen. No. What, what was that man like? Well, he wasn't around the set a great deal. Barry Appleton, yes. who was his police advisor, he wrote more of the first episodes than Jeff did. But whenever I was in his company, he was a great bloke, great energy. Again, he wasn't... Perhaps the reason I empathised with him is that he was working on a building site in Germany and he read a book and said, I could do that. Yeah. So he went and wrote a book. And then the rest is history. But it all started from a bloke just going, oh, I could do that. Yeah. And having a go at it. So I was a great, great, great fan of his, yeah. And let's talk about your, your departure. For me, when, when, when you left, it was the end of the bill. For me, for the purist. I know that people continue to do good work on it afterwards and you guest star, but for me, Cryer symbolises mm. the bill. Well, the, I think it's simple, is that if you go all the way back to Wooden Top, mm. quite evidently from that first shot of the alarm clock and the hand coming out and switching the alarm off, this is a day in the life of a police officer. And for those first 17 to 20 years, that's what it was. It was a day in the life of a police officer. And I do believe it's a mythology. There was a mythology around toward the end of the last century that television was not reaching this audience that was between 16 and 26. And in order to reach them, what we wanted, crudely, is sex, drugs and rock and roll. Mm. Now, my view is, having had offspring who had become 16 to 26... I would be shocked if they were sat in every night watching telly. 
I would think they've got better things to do with themselves. And I mean that respectfully towards shows like The Bill. But that's what was decided. The network decided that's what was needed. And so as we went in to the 21st century, so it changed. And that's when we went into sex, drugs and rock and roll. Yeah. No disrespect to anyone who wrote that or produced it or directed and certainly not the actors, but it was very different to what had happened in 1983, 84. Yeah. And am I right? It wasn't your decision to move on from the series? Uh, it wasn't my decision, but I was, again quite practical about it. I mean, I'd reached... I was 60, 59, 60, and the structure of our contracts was that I knew that in, 19, in 2001, when I was 61, I would be up for renewal. And I knew that at 61 there would be a fair chance, because that's what Cryer would be, that they might take this opportunity to not renew. I hadn't seen this other political thing happening, which I've just described. Yeah. But just on a personal level, this might be the time that Cryer retires, however they were going to do it. So when they, it broke, the news broke that I was leaving, it wasn't a shock, it wasn't a surprise. I thought, oh, yes, well, that, and, and my wife and I, we had discussed this financially, what we were going to do with our lives, etc., etc., because it was going to be a huge shift in all kinds of ways. So we'd put it all in place. We knew what was going on. So there was no surprise in that. I was told by a writer who was at a uh, script meeting when the new regime came in, and it was said at the script meeting by the executive producer, if he'd have had his way, he would have kept Sergeant Cryer, because there was more legs. Well, I think he's right. I I, I mean, I I think they did miss a trick now, and I'm not talking other than practically about script writing and about producing a show, because Cryer, of all the characters, expressed that old version, then to bring the new version and to see that conflict, I think, could have been very entertaining. Absolutely. What would he have done? What, how would Cryer have dealt with that? You know, I, I'm going to write a story now while I'm talking to you. Well, what we do is, in the end, he throws his badge on the floor and says, I'm going. Yeah. You know, I, I'm being yeah. really dramatic. But there was all that to be done, but a choice was made differently. It's a joke because um, in 1999 there's a lovely episode called The Free Sergeants and it's about yes. you, Trudy and Antonio Callaghan having yeah. just the worst night imaginable with a prisoner yeah, yeah. dying in the cells and a lay yeah. visitor turn up and it was like, yes. but uh, I rewatched it recently and read it on a forum and someone said that's still classic The Bill Yes, and it has all the elements that they could have used there because the three of you all have your different approaches and starts to resolving the situation. Indeed. And, Indeed. The, and the storyline respects, it respects Cryer because initially it's, it, I mean, true, truly has the line, so, you know, it's principle Bob, something you used to care about once. Yes, but, yes. But Cryer's just waiting for his moment, mm. you know, and you have your moment yeah. to, like, use a bit of top trump on Brownlow and it's, it's mm. the experience. It, yeah, they could have done a lot more. Yes, absolutely. With that. Yeah. But, a cracking storyline to, to send you out with. Oh, surely. Uh, Richard Hugham is a superb performance. Yes, yes. With Stanley Knight and yes. Sam. And, yes. You know, I mean, I remember watching at the time, it was all over the TV Times, wasn't mm. it? You know, mm, yeah, it was, it was, big, it was mega. It was yes. a big yeah. moment in television history. Mm. You know, and mm. 
the fantastic performance again by you where you were in your wheelchair. Yes. You said, I, I, I hate gardening. I don't, yeah. I'm not a gardener. I don't want to go have a Spanish villa. I'm a copper. That's what mm. I do. Yes. You know, lovely yes. scene of Ben Roberts and yeah. Walking Shaw. So, mm. and interestingly, Jim Davies wrote your last episode. It was the only script he ever wrote for Bill. Yet he mm. seemed to nail Cryer really, really well. Well, the final speech was right. written by someone else who knows me really well and it would be unfair to name names but it was written by another scriptwriter who had written for the bill who is very close to me and knows me and knew the character really well and in fact that scene was shot twice in its original form and then was rewritten and shot again and that's a good, what an accolade you see as an actor when you talk about why do you do your job. What an accolade I mean, yeah. to, to have that for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And Cryer's mm. final sort of yeah. standing up to Stephen Hartley's character. Yes. That he's a jolly good fellow. And there's someone, Rob Cook, who, who, who listens to this podcast and he tweeted the other day, we watched your, your final episode. He says, just that wonderful moment where everyone's saying that he's a jolly good fellow. A slightly echo, but you're just deep in thought, mm. thinking. Mm. You just hold, hold mm. the screen. It's, it's a wonderful, mm. wonderful moment. It's again how you do your job because you have to imagine it, it won't happen to me. Mm. You know, the day won't come when someone puts their hand on my shoulder and says, "Sorry, Eric, but you can't do acting anymore." No. I mean, other than something physical happens to me or mentally or whatever, of course, but that's not the same thing as someone actually saying. Yes, Oliver, you're a really nice man, but you can't ever write anything ever again. But but it all works. Yes, I know it all works, but you still can't do it. We're stopping you from doing it. That's what happens to a police officer who's given his time. I was told a story by a police officer, who I know quite well, that when he handed his warrant card in and his gun, because he was an arms officer as well, the person behind the desk took the gun and put it wherever she had to put it, took his card and cut it in half with a pair of scissors and threw it in a bin. Right in front of him. Oh, my word. And I knew that story when I played that scene. Wow. And I don't say that I searched for that story, but I knew it was in my... I have a kind of acting junk bag that I have all, all this old stuff goes in, and I think without even knowing you do it, you pull that out and it comes into your being. Oh, there's a great moment in that scene where Stephen Hartley is Chandler is, is doing his speeches and you are, and it, it cuts, is cut to you. You are completely still, but you also look like you're fighting to get out of that wheelchair mm. to have your moment. It's yeah. very clever. Mm, thank clever you. man. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and did, did you yourself have a, have a leaving do, a send-off? You know? Oh, we had a couple of send-offs, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We went to Dublin, the gang of us went to Dublin, we went to, separately, the company laid on a really fancy dinner one night, you know, with a lot of drinking, a lot of cigar smoking. No, no, I was very well cared for and very well thought of, yeah. Which, again, what a joy, what a joy. And they invited you back for several guests. Yes, absolutely, Yeah. yeah. I think that demonstrates what I said earlier, is that when the new powers came in, they knew there was more to be had from that character but you know they'd made the break and they couldn't go back to where it was it's quite nice actually because it's in I think it's your penultimate guest 
uh, appearance from Moya Brady. She, she's having oh, yes. lots of uh, dramas with the Kathy Bradford storyline, and you have the line, this all sounds a bit far-fetched. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of spoke up a hand for the audience as well, I yes. think, you know, by yeah. that stage. Yes. Uh, it has gone quite far. But yeah. a lovely final guest, guest trilogy, although, again, the storyline, it's lovely to have you and Larry back together to yes. investigate Ted Roach's death, but That's right. slight continuity here in that they make Jack Meadows Ted's best mate of all time. I know, I know. That will fit, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, yeah. But nice to almost do a Midsummer Murder in yes. some way. You know, yes, yeah. That, that nice to be back with Larry and, and just pick up where you left off, yes. I suppose. Yes, yes. Oh, no, it was, it was wonderful, yeah. 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 And... and in the storyline, Bob gets on his motorbike and rides off into the sunset. And am I right? You not long after that, like spent five months around Nova Scotia. Is this right? On your no, it's 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 a mixture. Um, in two thousand five, which would have been after that was shot. Yeah. My wife's a school teacher. Uh, she resigned her job, and we took the kids out of school, and we spent five months on the road in Australia and New Zealand. We drove around Australia and drove around. New Zealand. And then two years later, I had a bike flown out to Nova Scotia and I rode from Nova Scotia to Panama, which was about 10,000 miles. Wow. That was a day out. Yeah, yeah. This <laughs> for me. Yeah, yeah. So, life after the bill, I mean, first of all, was it weird that first moment, morning when you weren't going to work? Was there a period of adjustment for you or, or had your preparations put you in a good a good place or was it hard no no I, I think um, psychologically I, and spiritually I put myself in that place I, I mean the last couple of days of shooting were not difficult not over emotional but you knew that you know you, this was an extraordinary period of my life and it was coming to an end and you, you know it's not dissimilar to talking about prior any speech, when well, mine wasn't as dramatic as that, because I was going to carry on being an actor. But yes, it was quite, it was quite a big thing, you know. Oh, that's the last time I'll do that. That's the, you know, all of those last yeah. time things that happen to you. Yeah. So highlights from after the bill, because you've done a lot as well, mm. motorbikes, but you've set up a theatre company as well. Prior to that, as I was leaving the bill, I set up a television production company with Roly Luca. And we had some, I mean, we all say this, don't we, but we had some wonderful near misses. Mm. And it never flew in the way that we wanted it. We put an awful lot of energy into it. So that diminished the amount of acting I was doing for a number of years. We came out of it having not lost money, which to go into those ventures and not lose money, in fact, we came out with a few quid in the bank. So that, that can't have been all bad. Currently, I'm involved, and it's another one of those 50 quid and a cheese sandwich. A pal of mine said, a mate of mine has written an adaptation of Christmas Carol. He wonders if you'd like to get involved either as to play Scrooge or to direct it. And I said, I, don't, I played Scrooge, I'll, I'll do it, I'll direct it. We did it the first year, then we did it again last year. And now this year, we've even got a little mini tour together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, we're, we're going to... Basingstoke, Bristol, Basildon, and Gads Hill. Gads Hill is uh, Dickens' home. He was there for the last six, seven years of his life outside of Rochester. It's now a private school. 
it, you just keep going, don't you? Yeah. Just keep doing what what you can. Did they ever, were you ever tempted to direct the bill? I know Roger and Larry wrote some. Yes. Episodes. Well, it, the, two, there's two things go all the way back to the early days, and uh, I approached Peter Grigine, who was then exec, and I said, I, I'd like to write for the bill, I know I can do this. So he said, yeah, and he let me, and I wrote it, and I think it worked. The world was beginning to change, and I wrote an episode about the role of the female. At that time, the women were still wearing skirts and having to carry their handbags. Yes. And I wrote an episode that demonstrated that women's power within the police force should be recognised. And it might be different to what men bring, but it's just as important. That was the, the ethic of it. And it was all in place, and they paid me the money. And then Michael Chapman came back as exec, and Peter moved on. Michael came back and said, no, I'm not having actors right. He, he wouldn't have actors right, he wouldn't have actors direct. He, he just had a policy that you each stayed in your own category. So that, that went. When it came toward the end of the bill, we were in negotiations for me to direct. But then again, Richard Hanford was leaving and the new exec was coming in, so that fell away. I don't say that the new exec put the kibosh on it, but it clearly was one of those things got lost. So I would have loved to have done, yes, I would have loved to have done, because I knew the product so well, you know, and I know I could have done something with it. And it's also... For instance, when we went from the hour series into the half hours and went up to Bournemouth Road, I said to my then agent, I'm going to be employed 52 weeks of the year on this now, and I accept that and and happily accept it, but I want it written into my contract that with proper notice I want to be able to take time out to do plays. I I want to maintain my career as as a stage actor and do other projects. And in those following 14 years I did I think about 15 plays either performing or directing I mean a little subplot which I'm so pleased about this would be about 96 I said to Trudy Goodwin and Andy Paul I think we should do a stage play I'll direct you two in a play called Fall for Love by Sam Shepard and Mark came on Mark Wingett and another actor who wasn't in the company, Rio Fanning, came on. And we found the Grace Theatre down in Battersea, and they, we put it on in there. I went to Greg Dyke, who was then head of Thames, and said, will you give us a few quid? You know, we'll promote the idea that these are Bill actors doing this production. And he gave us a few quid, so we didn't lose money. We actually made money out of it. And the whole premise of doing that is that Actors who are in long-running series, even quality shows like The Bill, I don't think are recognised for what they're capable of. Mm. I think The Street suffers from the same thing. EastEnders suffers from the same thing. Once you're in it for long term, oh, you're just, quotes a soap actor. Mm. No, we're not. We're actors. And I wanted to demonstrate how good these actors were. Mark had a comparatively small part and was staggering, but Trudy and Andy were just beyond belief. So that also reflects on why I'm still doing it now. Yeah. Why I'm still doing 50 quid and cheese sandwich jobs. Yeah. You know, that, because that's the kind of bloke I am. And, well, you also gave a, a, a beautiful performance in Casualty last year. Oh, thank you. Strangely, almost a parallel to a, a Series 3 Bill storyline where an elderly couple were in a flat and the, the 
wife has died and the hubby won't let her go and, and Bob's got to try and let her go. I remember that episode particularly. Yeah, that. And, mm. and then it's almost the same storyline 30 years mm. later mm. with you in the ambulance and you don't yes. let her go. I mean, it's no. a beautiful start. Mm. Mm. What are the other shows you'd love to add to your your CV now? Is there anything you think, oh, I'd, you know, I'd love to do a Doctor Who, I'd love to do a, a Corrie or... It's really odd, isn't it? Because I've never, ever had a wish list. Ever. Mm. And we're right from the beginning of my career. What would you like to play? You know, would you want, do you want to do Hamlet? Do you want to do King Lear? And I've never, ever had a, a wish list. If you raise a subject, you think, yeah, I wouldn't mind playing a villain in Doctor Who. That'd be fun. Yeah. But it's not a, it's not a need or a desire. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. Would I want to do a series again? Yeah, if it was the right series, but not, oh, I must get on EastEnders or I must get to, get to the street or Emmerdale or whatever. Yeah, if they came on and it was the right part, I think, yeah, I'll, I'll have a look at that. You do defy age, if you don't mind me saying it. That's very kind. I mean, I mean my mother in law, I told her I was on Wednesday. She would please tell her it looks exactly the same as you did. If only. Yeah, <laughs> very kind, there's yeah, the proof. No, look. It's, it's amazing, you know. what's, what's the secret to. You know, you've walked in now, like, it's like you're in a bit of Tupperware, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've always been conscious of taking care of it. Mm, that, frame, but, yeah. yeah, the whole thing. And that doesn't mean I haven't done things to abuse it over the years, like most people have. And by that, I don't mean bad things. I'm just saying we don't look after our bodies in the way that we should. Mm. I was born with a condition called talipes, which... Uh, is lower limb deformity and crudely means such things as club footedness so I have a version of that Uh, and therefore had a lot of surgery when I was a child and as late as being 14 you know quite severe surgery and I think it left me even at 15 and 16 of knowing that I had to stay in control of this without knowing what that would entail. Otherwise, I'd end up as a, a crippled old man. Yeah. And I'm using language from the age. Sure. And I'm not being deliberately non-PC. Huh. I'm using language from the age. That I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be that thing. Mm. And probably also felt there was no need to be that thing. Mm. So wherever along the path I've been and I think, this isn't good, is it? Mm. Then don't do it. Mm. Do something else. <laughs> yeah. do, make you know, look after yourself and and stay fit and stay nimble. And I am very active. You can't own, you know, I, I don't know. We've got six or seven motorbikes in the garage, and the one you want to ride is always the one at the back. Well, you can't move a five hundred pound weight motorcycle without expending a bit of energy. Yeah. And you're doing that on a regular basis. Perhaps you know all those things keep you fit and sharp. You know, if you ride, I'm riding quite a quick motorcycle today. I've ridden up from South London, where I live, across the centre of London, which is mad and chaotic. You've got to be a bit sharp, otherwise you'll fall off and get hurt. So all those things, I think, help. But it's still very kind of you and your mother to say nice <laughs> yeah, things yeah. about me. Oh, very much so, yeah. And I suppose it's been quite a fun year for you, really, isn't it? Because, yes, it's been Dunkirk and... 
Oscar-winning short relatively recently, mm. and, and the bill coming back. Yes, and yeah. You and your colleagues being on this morning. I know. Doing Facebook mad. live streams. Yes. And, you know. Yeah. It's been quite an exciting year. Really, yes. It? Yeah. Even Richard Littlejohn referred to how young I look. Yeah. yeah <laughs> how about that? Yeah. Well, there we go. That, that is a compliment, isn't it? For the highest order. Um, so. I mean, you've given your time very generously today to record this, and what we ask uh, listeners who are enjoying this for free to do is donate money to a charity of the interview's mm. choice. So, is there a charity that means anything uh, particularly uh, something special for you that people, if they've listened to this, donate a couple of quid to make a difference somewhere? I want to say steps. If steps is still in existence, if this is the lower limb disorder. Yeah charity that's where I would ask you to put it because that harks back to the question about doing personality things like can't cook will cook or whatever that show was called well the reason I did it is that if you won they gave you a thousand quid and you gave the thousand quid to charity and Trudy and I were opposition and I worked out the way to win this is to get your dessert right because everyone's got a sweet tooth. Never yeah. mind doing some fancy fry up. Get, get, get the ice cream going and, and you'll win. And I did. And I gave the thousand quid to uh, Steps. So if Steps is still in existence, then please give it to Steps. If they are no longer a charity, or thankfully lower limb disorder has got to a place where it doesn't need that kind of support, then those of you that are kind enough, I would reverse it and say please give it to the things that you care about rather than caring about me thank you and I mean on behalf of all the Bill fans I mean you are adored the world over by all of us and I'm I'm one of them you know I'm a fan I admire your work I'm grateful to you for doing your work and doing it so bloody well and for giving your time today what is your message to fans of the Bill, fans of Bob Cryer? What is your message to them? Well, you will have all heard how I feel about my job and why I'm the kind of actor that, that I am. But imagine that you have all of that that I have and have had, and then add to it the applause of an audience. In whichever way that applause comes, and you know I use the word as a metaphor and a reality how lucky can you be that people admire what you're doing and you even use the word love and I think you're right I think there are people who love Bob Cryer and that's just such an accolade there was a theatre company no longer in existence and it was called Shared Experience and I think one of the things that drives me about my job I've talked about being a company person, the kind of actor that wants to be a part of a company and I love the shared experience and if there was only one job left, it was the Desert Island Disc, you only can only do one more job it would be in a little theatre with four or five other actors and an audience of about a hundred because that is the ultimate shared experience and what fans and, and followers of the bill are saying is that they are part of that shared experience and I thank them and thank them from the bottom of my heart, really. 
Well, everyone listening, <laughs> put your hands together. Mr. Eric Richard, thank you. Thank you, sir. I'm very grateful. Thank you, thank you very much. It's a, excellent. My huge thanks to Eric Richard. I do feel like I should be saying Sir Eric Richard, as this interview has shown the body of work of this great man has on his resume and continues to provide stunning performances. If any of you can catch his role uh, in Casualty, trust me, it's utterly heartbreaking, a superb performance. And I feel really honoured to have spent some time with Eric and celebrating his career. A lovely man. So thank you, sir. Eric's nominated charity does still exist, so if you visit steps-charity.org.uk, you can read more about Clubfoot, uh, which affects one baby in every 1,000 born in the UK. It's twice as common in boys and girls, and in around 50% of cases, both feet are affected. Uh, The website also features information on treatment as well as how you can support. So do visit steps-charity.org.uk for more information. Uh, My thanks once again as well to the Counting House Pub in Bank. Uh, This has also played venue uh, for my interviews with Suzanne Maddock, Ashley Gunstock and Graham Cole OBE. It's a cracking atmosphere, really helpful, welcoming staff and they do a mean pie. So um, do give them a visit if you're in London, a short walk from Bank Station. Coming up next, uh, the Bill podcast gets hot as we travel to Chicago via the wonders of Skype to interview a wonderful actor who has enjoyed a prolific career post Sun Hill and is currently the star of NBC's smash hit, Chicago Fire. I was so excited to interview this gentleman. Get ready for two half-hour episodes with the legendary Avon Walker. Next time on the Bill Podcast. Tony Scannell was the first actor I met when I walked onto the set. Wow. And Nula, Trudy Goodwin. Oh my God, those women were amazing. They were so nice to me and anything I needed to be able to kind of get up to speed with the Bill. Trudy and Nula were beautiful, beautiful human beings and helped me so much, I swear to God. You're bringing back memories for me now, mate. (laughs) 